Do you ever worry if you've done enough? That crippling fear as you sit and wait to see if you've done enough. Have I done enough to get the next slide working on the PowerPoint? (laughs) Have I done enough to secure a new contract in my job? Have I done enough to save for a new mortgage? Have I done enough to teach my children how to navigate life? Have I done enough training to secure a certain performance? Have I done enough to be recognised? It's a pretty natural concern, isn't it? Have I done enough? Because that's the way these things work. Our performance, the outcome is so related to what we've done. What happens in the future for you is based on what you've done in the past. Now, maybe that's the way you've thought of the Christian faith. Or maybe it's not, but it quickly creeps in. And one way or another, you find yourself asking the question, have I done enough? to be confident approaching death? Have I done enough to be confident and not worry about meeting God? Have I done enough to be accepted into heaven? We're looking at a letter this afternoon that addresses this issue of of confidence and security, of where someone can find real confidence It's all about what happens in the future for this Philadelphian church. And ultimately, what it depends on is to the church in Philadelphia. It's the sixth out of seven letters that we've been looking at. And the Lord Jesus introduces himself in a way that counters their anxiety, asking this question, have I done enough? Have a look down to how he starts. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia writes... It's a bit of an odd sentence that he begins with all these letters. It's Jesus to John saying to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write this. Or Jesus saying, John, write this to the church in Philadelphia, to the person that's going to announce to the church in Philadelphia. And the message is all that comes after it. So this message is what the Lord Jesus wants the church in Philadelphia to hear loud and clear. And as we've seen over the last couple of weeks, the number seven, as Lance has just prayed, the number of completeness shows that it's for every church that will come after two to listen in on. It's for Town Church Bista this afternoon. In each of the letters, um, the little introduction at the beginning references back to that new vision of Jesus that we saw in chapter one. And it gives a bit more of a, a flavour into the specific Thing that the church needs to hear about Jesus and, and the spe- specifics of the message that he's going to give them. Look down at the introduction that Jesus gives. These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. Jesus is the one who is holy and true. Jesus' character and nature are absolutely secure. What Jesus does is never contradictory to who he is, what he's like. And he holds the key of David. He's the one, he's saying, that securely holds the future. In chapter 1, if you flick back there, it says in the vision, it's the keys of death and Hades that Jesus describes. That's talking about hell. Here, what does he say? 
who holds the key of David. That harps back to something that was explained in the Old Testament, something that we looked in, looked in on in our One Book, One Story series, that in the line of King David would come a king who would sit on the throne and who would rule forever. What God was saying to David at that time was, this is the most secure future you could ever have. Establishing a king and a throne that would last forever. What's Jesus saying as he introduces himself like that? He's saying he holds the keys to their eternal reality. That's the good news of the Lord Jesus. Both the keys of death and the keys of David, they're the same thing. Ultimately, Jesus has eternity and the keys to eternity in his hands. Here it's an encouragement to the church. They're worried about what their future looks like. It's an encouragement to say, look, I, the Lord Jesus, hold the keys. He carries on, look down. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. Jesus is saying, look, I'm introducing myself as I write this letter to you. I've got all power and authority when it comes to having confidence and security. I've got all power. See, if you ever struggle to have certainty about what's going to happen, if you fear meeting the Lord Jesus face to face, if you're crippled by anxiety about whether your Christian life is good enough or not, if you want to have more confidence in your position before God, this is a letter from the Lord Jesus that you must listen to. Coming from the Lord Jesus, who with all power and authority speaks about the future with absolute certainty. To all that will trust in Jesus, he says, your future is absolutely secure. And if you think, actually, I'm not that nervous, I'm quite all right, then there's a challenge for you too. We're going to see three things that Jesus says in this letter. First to the church in Philadelphia specifically, but now for us too. Firstly, Jesus says, I know your deeds. Remember last week, this sentence, which tore into the church in Sardis. We talked of them like as the zombie church. They looked alive, but they were dead. Jesus said, I know your deeds as a rebuke because they looked great, but Jesus really knows. Here, Jesus is saying to the church in Philadelphia, I really know your deeds. But look, have a look down. It's like a mirror of the church in Sardis. What does it say in verse 8? I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. What Jesus sees and says of the church is accurate. It's real. He says, I know your deeds. I see you have little strength. Wedding speeches kind of bug me a little bit. You know when you sat in a wedding speech and you're just asking yourself a few questions, whether it's the father of the bride or the groom speaking about the bride. I, look, I imagine it's one of the most 
proud days as a father. And I know it's a joyous day as a husband, but often what happens is speeches become a slightly inaccurate portrayal of the reality. People speak about the bride in a bit of a vacuum, escape from reality, where they seem to forget that the bride isn't perfect. You know, when the father of the bride speaks gushingly of his daughter and how perfect she is and how perfect she's been for years and years, with bursting pride, obviously. Or the groom speaks of how he couldn't think of a more perfect bride to marry. He couldn't think of someone he could be any more suited to. You sit there and you think, it's really romantic, isn't it? Or uh, it is lovely that the father thinks like that of his daughter. But at the same time, you just can't help but think, this man's either delusional or he's saying something not quite right. Or you look at the husband and you think, he's either... He's either not saying it quite as it is or in honeymoon or quickly afterwards, he's in for a real shock. (laughs) Because either way, what they say or what they see is not quite accurate. When I stood up to give my speech at my wedding, our wedding, we'd already heard how incredible Elise is. The one thing I wanted to say in my speech was that the most important thing to me about her was that she knew she wasn't perfect and she knew she had a desperate need to trust in the Lord Jesus. Now it's a bit of a dampener standing up at your own wedding and saying that your wife isn't perfect just after you'd heard all from her father. I think I used the words perfectly flawed. I might change them again if I did it again. But, but surely the, those words carry more weight. They're realistic If I promise to love Elise in light of her failings, and Elise promises to love me in light light of my many failings too, it's an accurate portrayal of who we are as individuals. It's a promise and a reality that you have far far more confidence in. Here, as Jesus looks at the church in Philadelphia, he's realistic. It's an accurate portrayal. The church has little strength. It's not perfect. It's struggling. But the crucial thing, the absolute crucial thing, is that they recognise their need for Jesus. They keep his word and they don't deny his name. Jesus looks at his people and he knows them. Jesus looks at you and he knows your deeds. Last week we heard that he knows our deeds And he knows if they look real but are fake. This week Jesus says, even if you are weak, I see it when you keep my word and don't deny my name. See, if you're sat here this afternoon and you're crippled by anxiety about if you're good enough, if you're crippled by shame of something that's happened in your past, you're constantly nervous that something will get uncovered, Jesus says, I know the very worst thing about you. I know you've messed up. I know how much you fail. I know you have little strength. But I also know if you've kept my word and not denied my name. Well, you might be sat there thinking, wow, 
That's a relief. Jesus is realistic. He gets that I'm weak. What a burden off me. But I'm still nervous. Have I kept his word? Have I not denied his name? Well, what does Jesus tell me to do? There's one thing in the whole of this letter to the church in Philadelphia that Jesus tells them to do. Only one direct command, imperative to the Philadelphians. Just to have a, I'll give you 10 seconds. See if you can spot. What's that one thing that Jesus says they should do? Jesus says, hold on to what you have. That's the one imperative command to the Philadelphians. Hold on to what you have. Remember the big picture of the vision from chapter one that we saw a couple of weeks back? Jesus writes to his people to say, I am coming soon. Those that have trusted him already to remind them that he's coming back. It's a call to his followers to remain faithful until the day he returns. And look at verse 11. This then is Jesus' command to the Philadelphian church. I am coming soon. Just like he said, just like the vision showed. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Hold on to what you have. That's all you've got to do. Well, what is it that they have? What is it that they've got that they can hold on to? What have they done? What have they got? Well, let's have a look. Let's have a skim through the letter. Verse 7. Him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What have they got? They've got a Lord Jesus who holds all power and authority. What else have they done? Have have they got? Have a look at verse 8. I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. They have, the Philadelphian church, have a Lord Jesus before them holding open a door before them that no one can shut. What is that? It's the promise of eternal life that is completely dependent on the Lord Jesus' work. What else do they have? Look down at verse 8. I know that you have little strength they have little strength it's it's not dependent on them what else have they got what else have they done verse 8 you have kept my word what is it that they have they have the promises of the lord jesus christ what do they do they just cling on to them what else have they done verse 8 they've not denied his name what's that about them All they've done is cling to the Lord Jesus and not denied him. What else have they got? Well, have a look at verse 9. The people will be shown that what they have is the Lord Jesus who's loved them and given himself up for them. Do you see the theme there? What have they got? What have they done? What's good about them? Well, Every single time. What have they got? What have they done? Absolutely nothing. They are weak and feeble. And yet, 
they have the most amazing Lord Jesus. Christ who holds their eternity, who opens the door, who holds out the promises of life, who's loved them, who is coming back to bring them to be with them. Every single thing that they have is directly linked to Jesus' work or Jesus' word to them. Every single thing. The only one that's not, they have little strength. It's the only one. See, Town Church Bista, if you're anxious, if you're worried, concerned, scared about whether you have done enough, let that make you depend on the Lord Jesus who says, I know that you have little strength, but I have, I have, I have, I have, I have, I have, says the Lord Jesus. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Can you fill your heart with the joyous reality that you are rubbish? You're weak? And yet, you have the Lord Jesus. And maybe you don't always tend towards that anxiety and insecurity, but sometimes you tend towards overconfidence. You think, actually, my Christian life is pretty good most of the time. My achievements, they might even be worthy of life forever with Jesus. Well, Jesus says, I know your deeds. I know when they're authentic. I know when they're not. So hold on to what you have in the Lord Jesus, because that's the only thing that can give you the confidence, the security that you want. You'll find it in the Lord Jesus and nowhere else. It's brilliant to read these last two letters alongside each other, isn't it? Last week, Jesus said, I know your deeds. You have the appearance of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up! Stop being a zombie Christian. This week, Jesus says, I know your deeds. You look like you're weak and struggling. You look like you're clinging on. Well, hold on to the Lord Jesus. We'll often swing somewhere between the two, won't we? Sometimes we need to hear Jesus saying, wake up. Sometimes we need to hear Jesus saying, hold on. Maybe this afternoon you've come to church and you're feeling weak. You've little strength. You're struggling. Jesus is saying to you, hold on to what you have. The good news of the Lord Jesus that draws your eyes away from your struggle and onto him. That on the, Lord, on the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ took the punishment that you deserve for rejecting God. He rose victorious over death He ascended to heaven where he reigns now and he is coming back to gather his people to be with him. Maybe you wouldn't say you trust in Jesus this afternoon or you're just a guest. You've come for the very first time. You're very welcome. And you think, actually, there's no way I could be confident based on my life before God. There's no way that I've done enough for God. Do you know what Jesus says to you in this letter? No, you are right. There's no way. But this offer of absolute confidence by holding on to what Jesus has done 
is open to you this afternoon. That's the good news of the Lord Jesus. It's open to anyone that will admit they can have no confidence by themselves. Believe that Jesus offers true security and commit to holding on to him. And to those people that are holding on to Jesus, Jesus says, I will give you a secure future. When it comes to an insecure future, the people in Philadelphia had it pretty bad. Here, um, they're in, remember, we'll see, they were in uh, Turkey, modern day Turkey, um, and they're in a region that was pretty unstable. Unstable for lots of reasons. Politically, um, at the time, they were facing a lot of issues with the, um, the synagogue, the uh, non-Christian Jewish synagogue. But also, geographically, it was a pretty insecure place to live. In fact, people physically wouldn't live inside the city limits because the earthquakes were so bad and so regular. They'd move further out of town and yet still base most of their life within the city limits. So they'd face this kind of split life purely because it was so insecure and unstable. I did a little bit of research. I thought, Turkey, not known for its earthquakes, is it? And I was shocked. Al-Ashahir, the city that was um, Philadelphia back then, 31 earthquakes in the past 365 days. When you look at the list of earthquakes in that region, there's, there's 100 or so major earthquakes listed, including in 1999, an earthquake which killed 17,000 people. I was shocked. 17,000 people, that's massive. See, the Philadelphians lived in the midst of all their circumstances being so uncertain. And clearly from the letter, they're unable to find security in what they've done because they're weak, just like us, unable to find security in what we do. See, if you're living in uncertainty of work, relationships, health, debt, if you worry about having confidence in the future, you can be confident of the most secure future. Look, here's the promise from the Lord Jesus. Look at verse 12. To the one who's victorious, that's just the one who holds on to Jesus. What does he say? What does he promise? I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. What a promise that is from the Lord Jesus, who holds the keys to the future. To the one who holds on to him, he'll make a pillar in the temple. It's beautiful, isn't it? The the language, in light of the uncertainty, the broken temple, the ruins of earthquake, to the one who holds on to him, to the one who's victorious. I'll make a pillar in a temple that you'll never have to leave. Carries on, I will write on them the name of my God and the name of my, the city of my God. The one who holds on to Jesus will bear his mark of ownership, of protection, the most secure relationship. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, 
which is coming out of heaven from my God, and I will write on them my new name. For those that trust in the Lord Jesus, you will belong to the Lord Jesus in a new city, the new Jerusalem. In fact, it's so secure that for the one who trusts in Jesus, he's promised that you'll be there. This is where the language of being a pillar in the temple, being written on, having a name on you, is all a little bit random. It's difficult to grasp. In Revelation, it's, it's metaphorical. It's, it's brilliant pictures of talking what it will be like. But if the image of being branded with someone's name and being a pillar in a temple doesn't excite you, recognise what it's saying. You will have absolute security. You'll have absolute belonging. Absolute love will be shown to you. Never again will you be unsure of your future. Never again will be, you'll, you'll walk into a room and not be sure if you're accepted. Forever. With the Lord Jesus. And in the face of uncertain circumstances... Those moments that we face in life when it feels like our whole existence hinges on one bit of news. When you're waiting for the phone call, whether it be from a doctor, whether it be finding out if you can change your job, seeing if your medication change is working, waiting on exam results, finding out if the bid on the house has been accepted, if your mortgage has been approved. In the face of those big moments in life that could knock us. The Lord Jesus says, I will write on them the name Jerusalem, the place where they belong, the place where they are going. And if you're at all uncertain if that's where you're going, that that's where you really belong, that's, if that's what you deserve, if you're good enough to be there, The Lord Jesus says, I will write on them my name. Because those that trust in me are mine. And they're coming with me. See, if we're at all unsure, as we think about the future, in what's to come, the Lord Jesus says, hold on to what you have. To what I've already given you, shown you. To what I've promised you. And in the face of uncertainty, in the face of the thought of approaching heaven that could be so worrying, the Lord Jesus says, you are mine if you trust in me and you're coming there with me. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much that your words never fail and that your promise is so secure. Lord, thank you that this promise is open to all. Lord, please, would you help us to trust you at your word, that you will take us to be with you forever. Amen.